This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Mayville Luxury Towers Real Estate Development Project. Mayville Luxury Towers, we've drained the lake. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, haunted houses and even haunted are women. <laughs> With two children's movies that are they for children, we'll discuss when we talk about 1988's Lady in White and 2006's Monster House. But before we start the show, Kelsey, what do we do? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Why don't you give me your first question? For what agency does a friend of the protagonist, Chris Washington, work for in 2017's Get Out? TSA. That's right. Motherfucking TSA. Or the TS motherfucking A. That's yes. what it is. Yeah. Ah, uh, so good. I'm TS motherfucking A. We handle shit. All right, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. In Fright Night, 1985, what is the name of the former film star that Charlie comes to for help? I have no idea. He's named after two horror icons. Vincent. Peter Vincent. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I was like, oh, Vincent, that's his last name. (laughs) Very good. After Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Who's Peter Cushing? Hammer horror guy. He was also Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Ah. All right. First up is 1988's Lady in White written and directed by Frank LaLoja, starring Lucas Haas, Len Carew, and Alex Rocco. Kelsey, what is Lady in White about? It's hard to explain. It, it kind of is. <laughs> um, but it's about a kid who finds out about a murderer in town, and then... When he sees the ghosts... the murder. <laughs> when he sees the ghosts of one of his victims? Yeah, I think you can say that. That's a pretty important uh, plot element at the very beginning. It's hard to describe because it's very, it's very strange. Well, should people watch it? Yes. Yeah. I really liked it, even though it was very strange. Like, it is, okay, first of all, Lucas Haas is adorable in yes, this movie. He, is. he reminds me a lot of my nephew, except my nephew doesn't have as big as ears as he does. <laughs> and he's also blonde, so there's that. <laughs> Like, kind of both of these movies, but almost especially this one, it has some actual horrifying stuff. Yes, very dark material. It, it's it, This is an emotional whiplash movie. You will go back and forth. It feels, for a bulk of it, like it's a made-for-TV, <laughs> like, may, almost Hallmark Halloween movie. A little bit. And then, like, pivots drastically to, like... 
Oh my god. The tone is all over the place. It really is. And but I, I, I it's kind it of charming that way. Yeah. It it, it in, in another movie I would say that that's a failing. In this movie it's fascinating. I don't know if this is a kids movie or not. Right? It's, it deals with some stuff that it happens to kids and in those lighthearted moments it's definitely like a kids family thing. Wah, wah. But then like then it goes oh my really God. dark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe don't watch this with the family, or if you have some mature kids, do it. It's I liked it. I would recommend it. it yes. A lot. I doubt a lot of people have actually seen this movie, and if you can find it, watch it. So you can take that advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1988's Lady in White. It's 1962. It's Halloween. I wish I was as weird as you. Thanks. There's nothing wrong with the town of Willow Point Falls. But a powerful imagination can't cure. But this time, it's not make-believe. It was too dark. I couldn't see his face. This time it's serious, deadly serious. I'm telling you, that doesn't matter. This case has been making monkeys out of all of us for the past ten years. And strange, very strange. For you have seen a girl, a girl who wants you to find her killer. You have just one hope to solve the mystery. Sometimes when someone dies violent, they can't rest in peace. To stop the evil. Where are you going? I gotta follow her. To save your life. I'm here, child. Say your prayers. Lady in white. All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started on the plot? What happens in the Lady in White? So. The beginning of the film, as Chris said, a lot of it feels very much like just for kids. So at the beginning of the movie, it's it's a Halloween. It's on Halloween. And so it almost feels like a Norman Rockwell painting. Like In a way. Like very small town country road take me home idea. But it's also got a lot of Ray Bradbury dark kid shit in it? It felt a little Ray Bradbury-ish, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so this kid is riding his bike to school. We meet his family. He lives with his no. grandparents. The whole movie is premised upon an adult version of this kid coming back to his hometown. That's right, I forgot. And he's like some famous author, and he's just reliving this event that happened. And that storytelling premise is totally unnecessary and barely enters into it except occasionally where he narrates in between scenes. Yes. It has nothing to do with the film They don't even give us anything like what happened to him at the end. No, no. You (laughs) see the adult version at the beginning to set up the storytelling like motif thing (laughs) and then you just hear his voice throughout the movie and that's it. He's there to give you the moral and skip through time a couple of times but that's it. It's so bizarre and unnecessary. It's so weird. 
But then, yes, we're back in the 60s where Lucas Haas is a little kid. And so we meet his family. He lives with his grandparents and his dad and his older brother. His mom died. And, you know, kind of a wacky family. Like, they're Italian and they yell at each other, but it's all in the good fun. The grandparents are very, I don't know if they are or not, but they're very believable. Like, actual Italian immigrants. Like, the way they speak is, is it's a great sort of, like, uh, pigeon between Italian and English. And they're so much fun. I love <laughs> them so much. But again, it's like wacky time yes and totally out of step with the horror elements of this movie yes oh you're right just like my new wristwatch takes a licking and keeps on thinking huh shut up you who cares about your wristwatch stop smoke before you die too what's a die nobody's a die never mind go find your son and say that frankie is wake up now and so he and his brother are riding their bikes to school. His brother scares him, and then he gets, he falls into, like... Wet cement. Wet cement. Yeah. And then he just goes to school that way. Right. <laughs> just covered in cement. What, wearing a Bela Lugosi mask and... Which is creepy as shit. Yeah. All of their masks are creepy as shit. Mm -hmm. When he gets to school, everybody's, you know, having a big party or whatever. And then he gets called up to read one of his stories. It's a very Stephen King thing. Yeah, we thought that like, oh, with a famous author telling a story of his childhood. It's like, just like every other Stephen King movie where there's a main character who's an author. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. Not at all. <laughs> no. And like his story even scares like his teacher. That is, of course, unless the monster had a baby. That's impossible. Or is it? Thank you, Frankie, for that very unusual story. But these two bullies are dicks to him. Meanwhile, the teacher does nothing about it. I'm just like, dude, I would send those kids out. Right. But there's this storytelling scene is is kind of fascinating. He tells this story of this monster that attacked London and then they finally dealt with it. It fell into a hole or something. The earth swallowed him up and, and everyone's like in rapt attention. At first, they're all kind of like making fun. Oh, here, here's Frankie again telling his story. But then they're like, oh, my God. And they're even the teacher is totally wrapped up in the story. And then when he's like. Oh, but then it, it, I guess it could come back if it had a baby yeah, or whatever, lived, but that's not lived, possible, is it? Yeah, is it? <laughs> it's so cute. And there's this little girl who's dressed up like an angel who says, I wish I was as weird as you. I wish I was as weird as you. And then she just dances off. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know if he's making things up because it's in his memory it's 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 the connection to i ultimately it's the connection to his adult job of being an author it's just telling us that this is him as a storyteller i think the stuff that happens here really did happen i there's there's no other indication that the stuff that happened to him didn't happen 
Right. I'm I'm wondering if like there are embellishments. No, that's what I'm saying. There's there's no other indication that there are embellishments. Except that she dances. She just pirouettes off. <laughs> <laughs> and then he helps the teacher like carry all of her shit out and he's like dying. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes outside. Meanwhile, because they go alphabetically into the coat room, the bully goes in first, steals his beanie, and throws it up on top of a shelf. And he doesn't realize it until he's outside and they're like, hey, where'd your beanie go or whatever? Yeah. And they totally 100% just drop an N-bomb here. Yeah. Well, it's the 60s. And there is this whole element about racism. Yes. Because it's <laughs> – no, it's very – I completely forgot about this element. It is It is very To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, it is ripping a plot line straight from To Kill a Mockingbird in this, but we'll get to that. But it's the kids being racist about how Frankie has kind of a crush on one of the black girls in school. Or at least that's implied. They tease him for it. And the kid just drops an N-bomb. The word is Negro, Donald. Sorry, Negro, Donald. Forgot that you're in love with one. It's like, Jesus. Yeah. This is a kid's movie. <laughs> but they they totally go there, I guess. But then when he goes back inside to look for it, the bullies lock him in there and then just leave him there all night. So he's in there. He climbs up on the on the uh, on the on the shelf, to, finds the beanie and is sitting up there looking out a window. And then he has a dream about the funeral of his mother. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. OK, so the mother doesn't really come back into it too much. Aside from the fact that it's the reason why he has a single father and he's living with his grandparents. Uh, but his mom in the in this flashback dream is played by Lucas's Lucas Haas's real mom. And then there's this scene where he's walking up to her in a casket. And I'm like, this is an actual young kid. Like how much this must have fucked him up. <laughs> I, I it must have been a fucked up scene. And in general, it's just a very fucked up scene for a kid's movie because he is terrified. Well, yeah, because then he sees her alive and then he's like sitting with her and he and she's like talking to him and they're all happy. And then he's like, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. And then cut back to her in the casket and then the casket closes. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> and then he sees this little ghost girl. Yeah, he wakes up. Come walking into the coat room. <laughs> Singing this song. And this song, this song element is so weird because, like, you're supposed to, like, think it's endearing that she's singing it. But the real reason that she's singing it is because the murderer sings it. And we'll get into that. And she sings it throughout the rest of the movie. And I'm like, why? Why is she singing a song that the dude that murdered her sang? I get that that's how, that's our cue, that's our way of knowing who he is, but it's just like, Jesus Christ, why would this girl be singing this song that led to her death? Okay, so, the reason, it, what this is establishing is that she knows this person, and she's friends with them, and she's singing this song, and she says it because it's the song that you always sing. Of course I know who gave me this dress. You did. I know your favorite song, too. Have you ever seen a dream walking? Well, I did. Did you ever hear a dream talking? Well, 
know. Because we don't hear the other side of this conversation or see it. We just see this ghost girl. She's singing this song and she's talking to somebody. And he's like, oh, I know it because you always sing it. And the song is, did you ever see a dream walking? And that's from Sitting Pretty from 1933. Did you ever see a dream of walking? Well, I did. Which apparently Frank Laloja watched when he was a kid. So there's that. It totally has no point in the movie, but it's just a song to be put in there. And then it's very much straight out of M. You know, it's the murderer when he sings the song. Right. If you haven't seen M, I don't it's not really a horror movie, so we probably won't cover it on here. Right. Or do you have it on the list? It's not on the list, but I want to see it. I know, but it's not really a horror movie. It's about a murderer. A child murderer, specifically. Yeah, but it's it's not about that. It's about the team. It's not about the team. It's about the uh, the underworld of this city finding and holding their own trial. It's, it's not really a horror movie. But yeah, there is that sort of creepy element where he whistles a song, and that's how you know it's him. That's how he's identified. But anyway, we have this girl singing the song and then she like freaks out and is obviously attacked by the person that she's with. And this is another fucked up moment (laughs) of this little girl throwing her head back and leaning back and getting choked out. And this little girl is acting it all out. And it's intense. Yeah, there's nobody else with her. It's just her. And we see her, and she's she's got like she's kind of see through, and she's yeah she she gets her dress ripped a couple times, and she's screaming and being choked, and then she gets picked up because she's dead. Or, yes, or is she correct? Yeah, and then he's just has he just has to watch all this and this look of terror on his face again. Lucas Haas, adorable and very good in this. Yeah, I would say, and. Then this man comes inside. He he gets into the room, even though it was locked, breaks the breaks through the lock or what have you, and he goes to a vent in the floor. And this scene is, is another intense moment where Frankie has to try to be quiet, and then there's a rat, and the guy shines his light up, and you can't tell he's there. Frankie's there because he just kind of brushes over them and there's stuff on top of the shelves so he can't make out that this kid's there and he sees the rat and he's like whatever and he goes back to work and Frankie makes a noise and but then pulls down the mask the Bella Lugosi mask and tries to look like just a bunch of stuff (laughs) on top of the shelf but the guy totally calls it knows it's knows that there's somebody there pulls him off of the shelf and chokes him out while he's still wearing this mask. The heart sound was fading, becoming faint, more distant. I was dying. I could feel my eyes close shut, and yet I continued to see. And then we get a bizarre scene. Like an out, he has an out-of-body experience. <laughs> let me tell you, the compositing in this movie is garbage. <laughs> it is so... 
so bad. It's the 80s. They don't try to get the edges right. They don't get the, the lighting right. There is nothing good about the compositing in this movie. And it's the late 80s. <laughs> like, in, the, in 77 for Star Wars, 11 years earlier, it was way better. And I'm talking about the original theatrical releases where you can still kind of see the background <laughs> on the cutouts. With how they filmed the, the X-Wings and stuff. Anyway. So he has this out of body experience, and he ends up they he ends up getting found by. Oh, we're not going to say the things that he sees. Okay, what does he see? He's, he's flying through the air, and he's having all these panicky moments, and then he he sees like he sees people crying over his death or whatever, and he sees his brother finding the love letter that he wrote to the girl who was dressed as an angel, and then he you get this shocked look on Lucas Haas's face while the narrator says, why didn't I give it to her? I saw my brother Gino sadly sifting through my toys and clothes and finding the love letter I'd written to Mary Ellen. Why didn't I give it to her? Yes. <laughs> All the regrets he was having about, you know, seeing his life flash before his eyes, kind of. Seeing his afterlife flash before his eyes. Um... There's that narrator again, what little we get of him. And then he gets found by his dad and taken back. And he is basically out. He's kind of in no, a no, coma. No. Oh, we forgot. Huh? It ends with him meeting the little girl sitting in front of her grave. Right. And she explains, oh, she asks him, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going home. Yeah. And she says, will you help my, me find my mommy? She's lost. I need to find her. My mommy's lost and I can't find her. Will you help me find her? And there's this glitter going through the air and stuff. So weird. So the dad gives him CPR, wakes him up because he was just left for dead, apparently. Takes him to the hospital. The police arrest the janitor who was still on premises and was blackout drunk. And he's a black guy, and he's the only one there, and he has no reason to be on on the school premises because the school is closed. And so they just arrest him, and they find it. Oh, great! We we got the guy. Like that's the that's it. That's the only bit. And this is where the To Kill a Mockingbird parallels come in because they're basically prosecuting this janitor for the attempted murder of Frankie, and. The linked murders of everyone else, and it's in total like 11 kids. Just so you know, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird is pretty much based on the Scottsboro trials where a bunch of black men were accused of raping two white women when Right, and the only evidence was that they were black. Yeah. And in the area or whatever. They were on the train. That's it. And so this is, you know, more of that. And- Frankie's father, Alex Rocco, is the guy who plays him, who you probably know from The Godfather. He has a problem with this. He doesn't feel it's right. He's, in, while he doesn't get too involved in the process, he's the only one who's really questioning what's going on here. Meanwhile, his two best friends who work at his... His brother and his best friend. His metalworking business or whatever are like, ah, they caught the guy who assaulted Frankie. Did you hear he killed 11 kids? And and Alex Rocco's character is like, but 
the only thing that happened was he was blackout drunk on the premises. Like he, what's the motive? Like what's anything like there's no evidence against this guy. This sucks. We can't be happy about this. And that's basically the extent of it. He talks to the police officer too and says the same stuff, but he doesn't really do anything, but he's the voice of reason. The closest thing we have to an Atticus Finch character Mm -hmm. uh, with this storyline. And the cops even kind of admit they're like, we want this to be done with. Yeah. We, cause there was a, one of the murders. So they've got the little girl murder. And then they've also got just recently, just a couple years ago, this kid named Richard was also killed in the same town. But like, he also killed a couple of other kids too. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like 11 kids or something like that. So he's, so the cops are like, we just kind of want this to be over right. with. And the dad's like, that's really fucked up. Uh-huh. So all this is happening and Frankie wakes up and the grandparents are like, go get his dad. He's awake. He wanted us to, to let him know. And he's rushing in with the with the papa, grandpa, who comes rushing in after him. And this is what I'm talking about. Alex Rocco rushes in. The screen door slams behind him as the grandpa, who's smoking a cigarette, bumps in his cigarette and face into the screen door. And there's like a womp, womp, womp kind of moment. And there's like a musical sting. Market five, begin us a tent of the top half, sir. What is this movie? Yeah. It's a bad kids movie comic moment. Like bad kids movie comic moment. And this is this is the juxtaposition of tone I'm talking about here. We're just talking about these child murders and the prosecution of a black man for with no evidence and how unjust this is and wacky wacky. The grandpa likes to smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell the grandma she'll get mad and hit him with her shoe. (laughs) Like that's it's so weird. Yeah. So So Frankie's awake and they end up going to church the next Sunday where the mother of this kid, Richard, that Kelsey mentioned, says, I don't believe that they're in a better place. You know, whatever. She she totally gets the whole, you know, fuck God because my kid's dead kind of thing. And why was yours spared? He's no better than mine. Right. And turns on the family of the janitor who's also in church, his wife and his daughter. They're like the only black family in there. Yeah. Until they're forced to get up and leave. And she, the mom, Because she's faints. screaming at them. And she's like, I spit on your murdering husband. Yeah. Um. And so, like, yeah. So she eventually leaves. And so does the family. And the rest of the church. It's just like, I wonder, what did you do after that happened? Yeah. But, but, the, but the mom, the wife of the janitor collapses she faints at the end and alex rocco is the only one to get up and go help her and carry her outside and ends up taking her home and he apologizes to her lets her know that that uh that he's really sorry so oh god this fucking movie (laughs) um so lucas haas goes back to the cloakroom to look at what the murderer was going for yeah, which apparently he never found. He ran away because the people were looking for the kid, supposedly. The reason they ended up finding him is because the bullies, when confronted, were like, yeah, we locked him in there, sorry. So he goes But back. they don't learn their lesson. They continue to be bullies. Yes. So no 
no real reason why the guy doesn't ever come back or whatever. But Frankie goes in there and finds a little girl's barrette, among other things, including a class ring. But he thinks the barrette's the important thing because it belonged to the little girl. But he takes all of them. Yes. It's like a jack and like a, a soldier figure, stuff like that. Yes, but the two things he focuses on are the barrette and the class ring. And he doesn't know what what's so special about them. And time passes and we get the narrator talking. And this is where the cop admits that, nah, the guy's just a scapegoat. They found blood in the coat room, and that's Melissa Montgomery. Yeah, because they, they found her on the rocks. This is an Oceanside town. Yeah. They found her on the rocks, but they also found her blood in the coat room, so they knew she had been murdered. Right, and this is where Frankie kind of figures out that the class ring is the important thing. But it's too late, because the brother found it and took it. Yep. So Gino, his brother that picks on him, uh, found it. And so... Frankie tells Phil, his dad's best friend, like he freaks out about, oh, I figured it out. I know what happened. Da, 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 da. But he can't find the ring anymore because Gino has it. Cut to bullies. Yeah. Um, daring him to go up to the haunted house oh, of the my town. God. So they go to this haunted town, haunted house where the lady in white is supposed to be. And they're they're running they're they're just going all over the place. They're being loud, and they're all in there. And then this crazy looking old woman comes down the stairs, like stiffly, floating. like kind of floats down the stairs with her arms out behind Frankie, who doesn't know she's there. And the bullies freak out and run away. And he's like, "What's going on?" And she's like right behind him, and it is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, also, before they go in, they tell the story. She would teach kids how to play the piano yeah and then she apparently went crazy and tried to burn down her house and they found her laughing in the flames and then they put her away but then they brought her back for some reason so anyway he runs gino runs into him because he's been looking for him because he didn't come back home uh and they frankie panicked tells him about his theory as well and gino's like that's what the class ring was but he still doesn't tell him that he took it this is also the moment gino how does he get hit in the nuts does frankie hit him in the nuts well something happens because he ends up frankie ends up saying to gino like i'll tell mom i'll tell dad what you do under the sheet okay yeah what happens is he says call a doctor frankie says what for gino says to save my unborn child and then frankie says i guess you won't do it under the covers anymore and gino says i thought you were asleep (laughs) what are you doing here dad told me to come find you now call a doctor quick what for Save my unborn child. I guess you won't be doing all the covers for a while. Oh shit, I thought you were asleep. That is a masturbation joke <laughs> in this kid's movie, and they do it again <laughs> when Frankie threatens to tell the dad about what he does under the sheets. <laughs> like, the fuck? <laughs> the fuck even with this movie? Eventually, they go back to the school, and Gino sees the ghost as well. And so now Gino and Frankie are both in on it and he totally knows. But the problem is, is Gino comes home and he wakes up with pneumonia. But we didn't say 
they follow the the ghost, the, the ghost getting carried they, out, goes to the cliff. And what happens? Okay, so it's being held out over the cliff by a by a person we can't see. We can just see the little girl. And then as she's being held out over this cliff with the raging water underneath her, she wakes up. And it may not sound like much, but it is fucked. She <laughs> screams for her mom, and she struggles. And then she gets lifted up and tossed over the edge. And we see this terrified little girl who is screaming for her mother and struggling get thrown off a cliff <laughs> oh my god and then there's a, a, a this is when Gino wakes up with pneumonia and then there's a thermometer in the butt joke yes like come on movie yes, this tone is just all over the place I don't I don't know mommy Much talk, no work. Come on, Gita, we try the other end. No, Mama. Come on. Oh. Ow. So, so fucked. So anyway, a grand jury who, if you don't know what a grand jury does, they're separate from a jury. They need to decide if there's enough evidence to go forward with a trial. Luckily, the grand jury says there's no fucking evidence here, and they let the janitor go, and there's this big press moment, and Alex Rocco's there, and and uh, the dude gets in, gets in the cop car because they have to take him back to the prison and sign him out and all of that stuff, and he tells his wife, I'll, I'll see you at home, and that lady from the church is there, and she comes to the window and says, you know what, I'm so sorry, and the man says... You know, what What does he say? Like, I forgive you or that's all right or something like that. He doesn't he doesn't forgive her, but he says, th oh, he says, thank you. You know, like he appreciates that she's saying that. And she's like, you're so nice. And then she says, this is for my son and shoots him in the fucking head. Right. Blood next to splatters his wife. on the window right in front of his kid and wife. <laughs> oh, my God movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> so Frankie goes out shooting with his dad's buddy, Phil, who we know is like his best, his dad's best friend in the world. They've been best friends forever. Both his parents died when they were like in high school. And so like he, they grew up together. He they practically were was raised like after his parents died by by Lucas Haas's uh, grandparents. Yes. So Phil and the actual brother, Mike, or whatever his name is, I can't remember, got him a new bow and arrow. And they jokingly call Frankie Broken Arrow because he would play with a messed up bow and that would cause his arrows to go wild and then they'd hit something and break. And so they call him Broken Arrow. And so they, because he went through that whole ordeal where he was nearly choked out, they get him this new bow and the guy promises to take him out shooting. So he takes him out shooting and teaches him how to do it properly. Meanwhile, Gino, with the class ring, compares it to the chest downstairs, which is his dad's class ring. And he's like, he went to school with my dad and pulls out the yearbook 
and looks at the engraving on the inside of his dad's, finds his dad. Oh, this is an engraving of initials. And then finds the initials, finds who matches those initials, and it's something Philip something. And he's like, Phil. That's Phil. The ring belongs to Uncle Phil. And then we cut back to this moment where Frankie's doing one last shot and Phil's like all up close to him and like whispering in his ear about taking a deep breath. Now hold your breath and fire. And it's this really weird kind of like sexualized thing where now we know who Phil is. Keep your eye on the target. Pull back. Hold your breath. Release. It's creepy as fuck. But we find out that he hadn't planned to kill him. No. Okay, so here's here's what happens. As they're getting the, the, the station wagon loaded up full of their stuff, Phil starts singing that song. Have you ever seen a dream dancing or whatever it is? Walking. Walking, yes. Well, I have. Well, I have. And Frankie hears that, and he freezes and stares at Phil. And Phil's like, what's wrong, Frankie? And Frankie just keeps staring. And then you just see this pall coming over Phil's face and where he realizes Frankie figured it out. And he's pleading with him, like, I didn't know it was you. You had the mask on, you know, yada, yada, yada. And there's no, like, it's just he goes and he goes instantly into trying to negotiate with Frankie not to say anything. But Frankie also knows that that means Phil killed those 11 kids. So then he's like, get out here or whatever. And it's this race kind of between Phil and Frankie and he's locked in the car and then he breaks the window and then Phil climbs in and Frankie gets out and they're racing and chasing each other. You know, he tries to reason with him this whole entire time. We don't have to tell nobody, you know, I, I don't know why Frankie wouldn't, I guess not to get hurt. Like mm-hmm. that's the negotiation tactic. I won't hurt you if you don't tell your dad, mm-hmm. like that's the negotiation. So he attacks him, and then all of a sudden, Phil's hit. And we're like, Gino. Gino came and rescued his little brother. But Frankie wakes up, and he's in some bedroom. We don't know where. And there's candles fucking everywhere. And then there's the lady in white. And she tells this story (laughs) about the little girl, Melissa, who was killed and re- her niece. It reveals that it's her niece. And the mom, Melissa's mom. Ran out. Yeah. Right after her daughter fell. Yeah. And she. Jumped. Jumps and kills herself. Yeah. So then the lady that we think is the lady in white did try to kill herself by burning herself alive. But they stopped her. They and they put her into asylum or whatever. Yeah. So really the lady they've been talking about all this time it's like a ghost over in the cliffs. Yeah. The lady that they were actually afraid of was a real woman. Yes. <laughs> Why she has all this shit in her hair and ghostly white, I don't know. But she, Well, they explain it away. She went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, basically, that's it. She went crazy. But 
while she's talking to him, Phil fucking attacks and kills her. Yeah. Like, smashes her head in. Yeah. Like, again, movie? (laughs) So then he grabs the kid again and takes him out to the cliffs. And the house catches fire because of all these candles and in the struggle. (laughs) Yep. And then the lady in white shows up. The actual lady in white, the ghost mother of Melissa. And lightning comes out of her finger. (laughs) For whatever reason. It's hilarious. Yeah, and... And then she pushes him over the edge. She, she pushes him over the edge. So so Frankie fell, and he's holding on to the... Onto Indiana Jones the, onto style. Limb. Yeah. And Phil gets pushed over the edge by the lady in white. And then there's this moment where she reunites with her daughter. The ghost of the lady in white and the ghost of Melissa reunite, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it's almost like they needed to, to avenge... The mom needed to avenge the death of her daughter before they could be reunited again. But Phil's not dead. Nope. So the police and Alex Rocco show up because this is where Gino comes in. Gino told his dad. Mm-hmm. So they show up and save the, pull the kid up or whatever. And then Phil's still hanging. And Alex Rocco tries to save it's like, Phil. It's like, okay, why aren't the cops doing this? Because They're not doing anything, yeah. The cops are totally useless. If a person is in shock over the fact that this dude almost tried to kill his son, it's pretty likely that he's probably going to kill him. He doesn't, but that's a possibility, cops. Yes. Why aren't you doing your fucking job? I know, it's really weird. But he has his hand over the cliff and he tries to save Phil and... Phil like kind of grabs onto his onto his uh, wrist or whatever, and then it's like, no, nah, I can't, and he just lets go. Because earlier when they were in the car, when when the kid was in the car and he was trying to reason with him, he says, "I could never face your father if he knew." Yeah, and that's it. He feels shame, but I mean, fuck him, <laughs> right? Right, like. Yeah, he should feel shame and he should feel a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I thought he was going to try to kill Frankie back at the archery range. You know, he's going to try to make it look like an accident. But no, it's not until Frankie finds out. And that's his problem. It's the finding out. He was going to continue doing it, I guess. Who knows? So then Phil's dead. Frankie's saved. And the cops are there. And Angelo, Alex Rocco is there. And then they just look at the burning house. And then that's the end of the movie. Yep. That's how the movie ends. And at the very, very end of the credits, you hear the little girl singing, uh, have you ever seen a dream walking? And it's really creepy. Yeah. But they're just standing there in the snow. (laughs) And the music swells (laughs) like a feel-good kind of family movie. And then it ends and then you get those credits. And then, like you say, that, that, that creepy song and this movie is remarkable (laughs) lightning round kelsey it's very different it's a very different movie when the fake lady in white the aunt who's actually alive has frankie in the bed with all the candles she has her hands covered in phil's blood when from when she attacked him Uh and then she like touches frankie's face because he's such a, a precious young child and it's like I mean, kind of like Rose Red gets like blood on his face. And it's like, that's creepy. When the bullies, something happens and like the bull. Oh, that's right. Because the bully says stuff about the black girl. And so 
Lucas Haas punches him, right? But he does it with an open hand. It's like with his fingers. <laughs> yes. So it's it's it reminds me a lot of the Hermione punch <laughs> from the Prisoner of Azkaban, where she just hyperextends her hand to where the only point of contact she could have made is at the very, very end when she's lost all the power of her punch. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad fake punch. This is just like that, except he extends his hand with such force that his fingers kind of flail out at the end. <laughs> and that's supposed to be the the punch. So it's an even worse version of the awful Hermione punch. But after that happens, so he gets knocked out and the other bully <laughs> stops because he's not really into it. It's the other one who's really pushing him to do it. And he goes, geez, I wish I was in love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Uh. When he's helping his teacher out carrying the stuff, she they're talking. And he says a lot of really cute things in this scene. But at one point she goes, you're a very enterprising young man for your age. And he goes, I know. <laughs> And this whole time, because he's dressed up like Bella Lugosi's Dracula, he's wearing a cape. It's Lucas Haas in a cape again. People who have seen Brick. <laughs> I want to talk about the perfect example of the emotional whiplash that is this movie. The grandpa tries to drown himself for a comedic bit. Like, cut to him. Nobody else is in the room. It's just him with his head and his whole upper torso in a bathtub trying to drown himself or like threatening to because it's a joke, but nobody else is there. And well, then they're, they're downstairs. like, they know what he's doing. Right. Yeah, they're yeah. all laughing. About and then they're it. like, did you just ruin your new watch by getting it in the water? And he's like, ah, fuck. And then he falls in the pool again or in, in the bath again. What is this movie? I don't know, but I liked it a lot. I did, too. Can we talk about the lady in white and what that really is? Yes. Just a little bit. The lady in the, in white is a reference to what's known as the white lady, apparently, who had a daughter who was killed or disappeared or something by a boyfriend or somebody who was interested in her. And she roams around this, this lake in New York, this is where this comes from, searching for her daughter. Well, isn't it also kind of based on La Yorna? A little bit. It's it's very similar to that story of this ghost woman looking for her daughter. But yeah, this was apparently a real thing. There was a real house. It was demolished. It, so it it comes from a real story. But like like Kelsey says, there is a movie coming about about Leorna soon. So we, I guess we could have paired it with that at some point. There's also like again a bad Hallmark family comedy. Where when they're riding their bikes through the town and Frankie is chasing after Gino and they ride through this intersection and all the cars er, screech to a stop mm-hmm. when when Gino runs through and then they start to go again and then Frankie runs through and then they er, screech again. Then all these dogs come running through and they er, screech again. <laughs> and then finally, when the dogs run through, they all crash into each other. And as stupid as that is, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of humor that it's Hallmark family humor that you're getting from this. It's true. So with that said, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 82. 67. Wow. Mainly people think that the scares don't land. It's a kid's movie. Right. 
But it's not. It's <laughs> not. We're talking child murder. We're talking a little bit of maybe pedophilia that's kind of hinted at. I feel like... Did they say that he raped and murdered 11 kids? 11 kids molested and killed in the past 10 years. Yeah. What but there's that really scene where doing. he's like whispering to him and his face is all up against well, his. Well, yeah. And, and it's it's also... It's a little sexual. The whole... The scene where the little girl is talking to him. Uh-huh. She says, I, I'm i wearing the dress because you gave it to me. Right. It's a, it's a very pedophilia Inappropriate thing. relationships kind of stuff. Yeah. You uh-huh. build up that relationship to get them to trust you. Yeah. And then you do something. And there's a child who wakes up to her imminent death and is screaming terrified for her mother as she gets tossed off a cliff. And that's immediately followed by a thermometer in the butt joke. <laughs> it is so crazy. Like, I know we've been saying this a lot. It is remarkable exactly how much whiplash in tone is in this movie. And I, it's so charming for that, I think. I forgot to mention yeah, that this movie has been on my list for a long time. However, it got moved way, way up because uh, one of our listeners, Jeffrey, recommended it. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Jeffrey. But what would you give it? I'd probably give it an 82. What I guessed they would give it. I don't know if I'd go that high. I thought it was very good. This, I mean, it's, you know, it's very silly. And the... The graphics are really bad. But I think if they remade this, it would be phenomenal. Yeah. Does it feel a little bit lovely bones to you? But not from the not from the wrong perspective, from a different perspective. <laughs> well You didn't like the lovely bones, I know. I'll compare it to the book. How about that? Because okay. the movie's a piece of shit. Um so do I think it's lovely bones? I see what you're going for there, connection wise. Yeah. But Lovely Bones deals with a lot of very different ideas than this one does. This one feels like it's more, in a weird way, whimsical. (laughs) Um, And also, Lovely Bones is more about, like, dealing with the shit that happens to you in life. I know in her perspective it's murder. (laughs) But it's more about coming to terms with things that have happened to you. And understanding that sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. And sometimes you have to let Right, go. no, I'm not necessarily talking about the themes. I'm just talking about a ghost girl yeah. who's killed by a child murderer. Do I think that like... the writer of Lovely Bones definitely saw this movie? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I would give it probably a 75. Okay. Looking back, that's what I gave Burnt Offerings. I just, I... What, like you said, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember like t- 10 or 15 minutes in, I remember turning to you and me like, this is a weird movie. Yeah. And then like, I just kept feeling that. And I love it. I love when movies do that to me. Again, Lucas Haas is great. And he's so adorable. Uh-huh. Like I said, the the movie is remarkable. It's fascinating that it exists. And I can't believe more people aren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. As like this childhood classic but maybe they didn't see it because jesus but it's rated pg and in the 80s parents didn't give a shit (laughs) that's why we all saw the fucked up movies we saw yeah that's true all right that was 1988's lady in white before we move on to our next movie trivial pursuit horror edition kelsey 
What is the alias of the serial killer Jane Gum in 1991's The Silence of the Lambs? I was being polite. I could have told you right away when you said his name. Buffalo Bill. That is correct. What horror novelist helped Evil Dead 1981 acquire a distributor? Is it Stephen King? It is Stephen King. We talked about that in our Evil Dead episode. Oh, did we? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Oh. I'm surprised you didn't know and you had to guess. I didn't remember that. (laughs) Yeah, it was a minor fact about it. It wasn't huge. There's not a lot of story going on there. He just liked it. (laughs) Friends with Sam Raimi, I think. Stephen King likes to help out people. He really does. He seems like a really, really cool guy. You know, like that whole dollar rights to his work stuff. He just did that recently, actually. With one of his stories. Or if you've never if it's your first film, he'll give you the rights to one of his stories for a buck. <laughs> cool. Anyway. Our next film, 2006's Monster House, directed by Gil Keenan, written by Dan Harmon, Rob Schraub, and Pamela Petler. Yes, that Dan Harmon. The half of Rick and Morty. And Community he did, and Yes, That Dan Harmon wrote that with his longtime writing partner, Rob Schraub, along with Pamela Petler, and starring Mitchell Mousseau, Sam Lerner, Spencer Locke, and a string of famous names who play minor to middling roles in the movie, such as Steve Buscemi, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jason Lee, Kevin James, Nick Cannon, John Hader, Kathleen Turner, like Jesus. (laughs) Lots of famous names in this movie. What is it about? Three kids realize that a house is alive and they feel the need to stop it because it's going to eat people. That is true. Should people watch the movie, Kelsey? Yes! It's... This flew way under the radar. I feel like it got shortchanged because people considered it like half knockoff of Disney, half knockoff of Tim Burton. And so they just were like, it's a wannabe Pixar, wannabe Tim Burton movie. Like fucking I whatever. I saw this in theaters with a stadium filled with children. Yeah. That by the time the movie ended, half of them had left screaming and crying. Yes. So here's the other link. Like I said earlier, it's a kid's horror movie, but is it for kids? Also saw it in 3D. And so, and that had such a big impact. Like, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. And I've been wanting Chris to see this Yeah, I never saw it originally. And I've been wanting to see it for a long time. I've just never had an excuse to see it. And then it showed up on our list, and I'm like, okay, I'll wait until then. And watching it on our teeny tiny TV in our bedroom, I was like, I remember this being almost scary for me. Now, granted, I saw it back when it came out, which was what year? 2006. So you would have been still oh. a teenager, 19? Yeah. But I I mean, like, I wasn't afraid of it, but I al- I remember, like, almost being like, I could see myself being one of those kids crying. Yeah, like, when uh-huh. I, if I was a kid and I saw this, and it dawned on me, that's right, I saw it in 3D. And imagine that house coming after you in 3D. It totally does. <laughs> so, yes, people should see it. If you haven't seen it, you slept on it. See it. 
it's not one of those like, oh, you must see it. But like, if you haven't seen it, like, do yourself a favor and, and watch it. It's clever and fun. And it, it made me laugh a lot harder the first time I saw it. I remembered it being really funny. Yeah. And like this time I, I kind of knew I knew I remembered the jokes that made me laugh. Yeah. So like they weren't as funny because I remembered them. And it's not famous for it, but it's notable for being the only movie, as far as I'm aware, to this day that was filmed with motion capture, you know, like. War for Planet of the Apes, that is based entirely on an original concept. Every single other motion capture movie, Planet of the Apes, King Kong. Um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings, Avatar, like all of these things are based on other properties. I don't think James Cameron would like it if you said that. Are you kidding? We all know. But I don't think James Cameron knows. <laughs> it's literally based on several different things, <laughs> including, most importantly, it's a retelling of the Pocahontas story. <laughs> the Disney Pocahontas story specifically. But don't forget about Fern Gully. <laughs> anyway, which is nuts. It's nuts. You can totally tell that it's motion capture because a few things seem kind of off in the animations. They seem a little bit... Like, we have this expectation for what animation should look like, and this goes a little bit too far into the uncanny valley with some of the movements. So you're like, oh, that doesn't feel right because of it. But you can totally see an actor in a motion capture suit acting it out. Absolutely. Anyway, you can take our advice for what it is, but when we come back, we will talk about 2006's Monster House. Nobody will sit next to us at lunch. But on July 21st... We're going to have to go inside. Are you nuts? Crossover. I say it's worth a shot. Yes, I agree. Let's do it. To the other side of the street. No way. DJ has the plan. Meet me at the danger show now. Let's move. Jenny has the braids. Are you guys mentally challenged? Oh, my gosh. What? You're a dork. And Chowder has no clue. Executive producers Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg invite you. You guys should have a look at this. To unlock the mystery and experience the adventure of the summer. If that's the tongue, then that must be the uvula. So it's a girl house. What? Monster house. Stupid house. Directed by Gil Cannon. Ready PG. Kelsey. Hmm. Why don't you get us started? What happens in Monster House? We start with a little girl uh, riding her tricycle, and she is riding along on a typical suburb, and she comes to a very dilapidated, dark-looking house, and her trike gets stuck on the grass and outruns the guy who owns it, and that's played by Steve Buscemi. Yep. And he says, um, get off my lawn. Do you want to be eaten alive? Oh, get off my lawn! Oh, trespasser! Do you want to be eaten alive? No. Then get out of here! <laughs> and then he breaks the trike in half. 
You know, he rips the wheel off the front of the tricycle, yeah. Yeah. And then a kid across the street who's watching him just like in uh, Rear Window or Disturbia takes a picture of his angry face. So that's our intro. And then this kid uh, is being left alone for a co- for like two days by his parents who are off to like a, a dentist convention, I assume? Yeah, that's the implication. <laughs> They're, they 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 have a bunch of model teeth and a giant toothbrush. I guess they're dentists. Yeah. But this is Catherine O'Hara and Fred Willard. You know, his voice cracks and his mom's like, what was that? And then the dad's like, oh, it looks like we're hitting puberty. And then he's like, you know, son, I used to do the same thing, except that I was watching twins. <laughs> Like, admitting that he was a fucking peeping Tom. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And then, you know, it's it's kind of, it's showing us that he's at that weird age where parents aren't ready. The mom is not ready for him to be an adult, and the dad is ready for him to be an adult. Yeah. And so the mom's like, you know, tell your son you love him. He's like, he knows I love him. Tell him (laughs) you love him. He knows I love him. And then she rolls down the window, we both love you. (laughs) It's really cute, yes. It is. And then so his friend shows up. And it's the day before Halloween, and his friend's all excited to go trick-or-treating, and the main kid is like, I think we're a little too old at this point. So I don't know if they're 12 or if they're 13. It's somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, it's probably somewhere around there. And they, they're playing basketball with the kids, the friend's uh, new ball, and he hits the rim, hits his face, and then it goes over to... Nebercracker's lawn, so that's his name, Nebercracker, Steve Buscemi's character, and the kid who lives across the street is like, uh, your ball is gone for good, and he's like, no, I have to have it, right? And so, and, and the friend is like- Okay, well, let's get the names out of here. We can't keep saying the friend and the kid who lives across the street. DJ is our main character- Chowder is his best friend. Thank you. I just couldn't remember it. (laughs) So Chowder is like, hey, man, if you think you're so old to go trick-or-treating, you must not be afraid of Nebercracker anymore. Why don't you go get my ball? And he gets him to do it and outruns Steve Buscemi. And he grabs him and he's yelling at him and he's like, do you want to die? And he's like, (laughs) no, I love living. (laughs) And then heart attack. Yeah, paramedics show up, and they 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 take the lifeless body of Steve Buscemi away. And the grass is grabbing at his hand and at the wheels. Yeah. This movie is not shy about what's going on. No. The house is haunted in such a way that it is literally possessed with some sort of spirit. It is alive. Yeah. The house and the property. DJ's kind of freaking out because he's like, I'm a murderer. <laughs> and it's really funny. Uh, Chowder is like, no, it was an accident. They call it manslaughter. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. So then Elizabeth, who now goes by Z, his babysitter, shows up. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. And she wants to have her boyfriend over and doesn't want to do anything with him and with DJ and DJ's like well i'm going to tell my parents and then she breaks a plant pot and uh she says why would you do such a thing and he's uh-huh. like you did it and she's like yeah who are they going to believe uh-huh. 
So dejected, he goes upstairs and falls asleep. And he has this weird dream where the shadow of the house from across the street gets cast long across across the road into his room upstairs. And then a hand, shadow hand comes out of it and it goes to grab him. And he wakes up. And it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> like, it's very effective at being really, really creepy. Yes. Um, but then he gets a phone call when he wakes up. And he hears weird noises. And nobody responds when he asks who it is. And so he hangs up and he dials star six nine. Now, a few things. First of all. There are multiple sources that say this movie takes place in the early 80s. Then why did he dial star 69 on a cordless phone? Yeah, and there's nothing to nothing by the clothing, nothing well, I suggests mean, it, that it was the 80s. It all feels a little like, you know, timeless, like it could have taken place in any time. Exactly. Yeah, but star 69, I felt compelled to look it up, didn't exist until almost 10 years later. 1992 and fucking cordless phones like there's plenty of things where it's like okay there's no way this takes place in the 80s but multiple different resources say that it does and i don't know where they're getting that from <laughs> but anyway he calls star 69 which for you young kids that don't know what that is anymore before everyone and their mother had caller id <laughs> you would dial star 69 and it would call back the last number that called you and it was a great preventative against prank calls but really, it was so, you, so if you just got a call and you needed to reconnect, you could do it that way. Nobody answers. And, I hear, and he's just hearing ringing through the phone. And then he realizes he's also hearing ringing outside. And he takes the phone away from his head and he looks outside and he hears far away the ringing of a phone inside Nebercracker's house. And that's fucking creepy. It's very And creepy. super effective. Mm -hmm. And he tries to tell Z about it, and she's having none of it. She doesn't give a fuck. And her boyfriend, Bones, is over. Bones, played by Jason Lee. And he's pretty funny, but he's also an asshole. He's a total asshole. Like. Well, he's half drunk at this point, too. Yeah, and, that's true. And, like, no, he's totally an asshole and practically unredeemable, except he gets this tragic backstory that he tells <laughs> Z about how Nebercracker stole his awesome kite. When he was, like, ten. Yeah, and that's, like, ruined him. And and the implication is that's why he is the way he is, is because when he, he was a kid, he got his kite stolen. And he destroys uh, DJ's little pet bunny, not pet bunny, stuffed animal rabbit. Yeah. And he, it's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, but like, he if, is... I, if that had happened to me when I was a kid, I would have gone apeshit. Yeah, but then they would have just held their hand out on your head, and you would have just been swinging at the air, and they you. No, I mean like I would have jumped on him, like I would have attacked him <laughs> if he'd done something like that. You were also tiny, so keep that in mind. Anyway, so he calls up Chowder, and this is pretty funny. Chowder's like, "Oh yeah, my dad's at work. My mom's at the movies with her personal trainer." Awesome. <laughs> And so they meet in the usual place or whatever. And in order to do that, he needs to sneak out of the house. This is after Z also kicks Bones out of the house for being too sexually aggressive. And good for her. Yeah. But she's also like, he didn't call back. Yeah, Where she is wants he? him back. Yeah. 
But she also is like, you have no respect for women. And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> so anyway, DJ gets out of the house and they meet at this construction site. <laughs> Which has this billboard sign on it that just says in big bold letters, we drained the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Just this movie is full of funny shit like that. Yes. It's you can totally see how it's a Dan Harmon thing, you know. And so he's DJ's trying to tell Chowder what he what happened. And Chowder's like, you're just freaking out because you killed somebody today. Life goes on for you. (laughs) (laughs) Chowder has so many funny lines. But so Chowder, so he's trying to get Chowder to go and check out the house with him. And he says, only if you go trick-or-treating with me. And so DJ says, fine. And so they go into, they go up towards the house. And um, (laughs) the house pretty much wakes up. Yeah. And the door becomes the mouth. And it's pretty scary. The, uh, and it the, gets worse as time goes on. The too. floorboards come up and they break apart to create teeth. The uh, the hallway carpet is its tongue, and the two windows are its eyes. And it wakes up and it and it shows the ball. Um, then <laughs> shows the ball. Uh, no, this this is after what happened to Bones, isn't it? Yeah, because when Bones was kicked out. Yeah. He was like stomping on the grass and pulling it up and then he got yanked into the house. When they when showed, showed the his, awesome kite. The kite. He's like, "What?" and he's drunk and so he stumbles in and it slams shut. Yes. And we don't know what happens to him, but his his beer bottle is left on the lawn. Yes, and it gets swallowed up by the lawn eventually. And so when he tries to go and get the basketball, this is Chowder, it comes after him. And they run away, and it's really funny, like, Chowder screams, like, DJ says, don't look back, and then Chowder screams, and he's like, I looked back! (laughs) Don't look back! (laughs) I look back! (laughs) And so now they're holed up in his room. Yeah. Watching the house, like Peeing into bottles, and yeah, how are they taking a shit? I don't know. They're holding it in, I guess. Mm -hmm. This is when we meet... The young girl, Jenny, and she's going door to door selling uh, effectively Girl Scout cookies. It's what it is, but it's It's whatever candy. Right. It's an analog to a Girl Scout selling Girl Scout cookies. And she's very good at it. And she's very smart. And she knows what she's doing. And she's very clever. But she goes up to Nebercracker's house to sell something, and the boys have to run out and save her. And the house comes alive again and attacks all of them. And she's like, what the fuck was that? They make kind of a weird joke here, though. Yeah. They're trying to tell her the house is alive. And she goes, are you mentally challenged? If you are, I'm certified to teach you baseball. (laughs) And I'm like, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of fucked up. Are you guys mentally challenged? If you are, I'm certified to teach you baseball. It's a joke about Jenny, not about people with... Mental disabilities. Yes. That's the thing. It's it's just the type of person that she is. And it's great because uh, earlier when they were watching the house from the from the window, Chowdard said no detectable movements. And when the house comes alive and tries to detectable eat Detectable movement. Detectable movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's good. So they take her upstairs and that's when she sees all the pee bottles and how gross it is. 
it's around here that they also realize it's Halloween. It's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, because there are going to be kids coming by. Mm-hmm. And not every kid knows to stay away from Nebercracker's house. Mm-hmm. So, fuck. So basically, their, their running theory is that when Nebercracker died... He was so obsessed with his house that his spirit now inhabits the house. And he's going to continue his rage of keeping children away from the house or killing them. Also, we should mention that this is the time when they call the cops. Yeah. And one of them, he's new on the job and he is way overzealous. And the other one is way too laid back. Yeah. And so they, they don't. So this is, this is Nick Cannon and Kevin James. And when they have the cops come up, the house doesn't do anything. And Jenny says, smart house. Clever girl. <laughs> Clever girl. But the house gets the cops. So I can't remember if that happens after they already go inside the house the first time. Oh, no. It, it happens later. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So first, so- they go and they see Skull. They see Skull, yes. So this is Skolinski, who's played by John Hader, who is Napoleon Dynamite. And he's the other half of Skull and Bones, even though we never see them together and we never see them referenced together. Z is wearing a Skull and Bones shirt, and she's listening to Skull and Bones music on her cassette player. She is playing a cassette player. That's very 80s. (laughs) So, but he is this awesome video game player at Thou Art Dead. Is that what it's called? I don't know. It Whatever. looks like a very 80s game. Yeah, and he's and he's playing in the arcade in a pizza place. I mean, like, if I had to guess, I would say this was in the 90s. Yeah. But then his, uh, his, his beeper or something like that goes off and he runs out with the pizza. But what he tells them is that... Uh, during my travels, I've <laughs> heard tell... Basically, of living houses, and the only way to stop them is by getting to the heart and destroying the heart. In my travels to the video store and comic book conventions, I've seen many strange and wondrous things. And I've heard tell of man-made structures becoming possessed by a human soul, so that the spirit becomes merged with wood and brick, creating a rare form of monster known as Domus Mech. And they realize that when Nebercracker died... The first thing that came to life was the chimney. Yes, the, a fire started in the chimney and smoke started coming out. So they decide in order to stop the house, they need to douse the fire in the fireplace. I also like here when they first come up to school... Somebody says they call him Skull, and Jenny goes, who's they? And Chowder says, me and DJ. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's full of charming little moments like that. It's totally awesome. Yeah. So they go back to the house. They get get a bunch of super soakers together. And as they're going to go back in, they try first to put it to sleep. And this is with a crazy thing. They take a vacuum cleaner, (laughs) fill it full of... Uh, NyQuil and put on a Letterman jacket and a monster mask and they have it like drive itself forward. And at first it looks like it's going to work. But then the cops show up. Mm -hmm. They show up again and they prevent the house goes back to sleep or pretends to be. 
and this is the thing about the movie, you're just going to have to accept this fact, suspension of disbelief. Whenever there is not a human being who is not these kids actually present and watching the house, this house can do whatever the fuck it wants. And you're just going to have to come to terms with that. Well, I mean, it's it's a movie about a monster house. I understand. <laughs> I'm I'm saying that it's worth it. But you may be asking, how is it that nobody sees this? Don't even bother asking that question. They just don't. So they throw the kids in the back of the cop car, and then Nick Cannon hears something, and he's like, I'm going to go check it out, because he's overzealous, and he wants to see what's going on. And so Kevin James is just like, oh, fine, and he goes with him. And eventually they both get swallowed up by the house who grabs them by the tree with trees, his hands and stuff like that, and then tosses them in and then grabs the cop car where the kids are locked in the back and literally just starts eating the cop car. And as the kids get pulled inside the house in the cop car, they can see the floor and the foyer opens up and it swirls around with a bunch of planks of wood like it's a grinder that's going to grind them to death. And... As it's eating the car, it breaks in half, and they can get out now. So they get stuck inside the house, and the house has gone back to sleep. And they think that the house thinks that it's eaten them. So the house doesn't know that they're inside. Yeah, they can talk as much as they want, and it can't hear them. Yeah. But it can look for them. And it's this awesome effect of when it does wake up and look for them, is light coming from outside through, through the, windows. the windows. And that's like its spotlight and how it sees you. It doesn't make like logistical sense, <laughs> but it it's very evocative. And so they're looking around, and they see it's kind of like a light fixture Right above where the throat of the house is. And Chowder makes the mistake of thinking that it's the the heart of the house. And so he sprays at it, right? Yeah. Which causes it to pretty much vomit up water. And that's when Jenny's like, so that must be the uvula. And Chowder says, oh... So it's a girl's house. She's like, what? And she's like, everybody has a uvula. He's like, I don't. Those are the teeth, and that's the tongue. Then that must be the uvula. Oh, so it's a girl house. What? No, it stimulates the gag reflex. Everyone has a uvula. Not me. If you've ever seen the TV show Bobby's World, it's done by Howie Mandel. He was a stand-up comic at the time, and he did this character, very adult humor, this little kid named Bobby, and they created a kid's show out of it. And he would have these really wild, imaginative daydreams, and in one of them, he's in a submarine being attacked by the little girl who has a crush on him, and she has pigtails. And so she's like a squid a giant squid attacking his submarine with her pigtails. And somebody tells him as he's going out to escape or to fight her or something like that, somebody tells him, be careful of her tentacles. And he stops and he looks at camera and says, I thought only boys had tentacles. I'm opening the hatch door, but remember, stay clear of her tentacles. Okay. I thought only boys had tentacles. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> in this kid's show, they made a testicles joke. Mm -hmm. And now in this, they're making a, they're vulva. Making a vulva joke. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Totally cool. We also see vacuum cleaner dummy and Chowder says, I love you, vacuum cleaner dummy. <laughs> 
Oh, we didn't say what the story is. So earlier Bones told Z the story behind what happened at the Nevercracker house. And the running story is that he was married and he killed and ate his wife. Yeah, he fattened her up and then he killed her to eat her. And it's one of those Jack Spratt kind of stories. You know, Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean. It's the same thing. He's he's a ta- he's a tiny skinny dude and she's a very large woman. And we see pictures of them as they're exploring the basement and we find this caged off area. Constance the giantess. Yeah, with signs says. that say that and it turns out she was a circus freak as this very large woman. So we find this cage, and it says Constance the Giantess, and we see pictures of her, and she is a very large woman. And inside the cage, there is what appears to be a fat lady covered in cement. So at first, I was like, I mean, yeah, we've seen this before, you know, like King Arthur and his tomb, and there's like, you know, a... A carving, a sculpture of half of a human on top of the grave or whatever. It struck me as odd, but I didn't automatically assume there was a person in there. It's not until later when the house wakes up and attacks them and DJ falls on it that it crumbles away and we see the bones of Constance in there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so the first time I saw it. I thought he was keeping a fat lady in a cage and then murdered her with cement. Yeah. That's what I thought he had done. And I was just like, That's the implication. That's the implication. But it it doesn't line up with Bones' story about how he ate her. Yeah. So they're running away and- They're getting attacked by, like, coils and pipes. And the carpet. And DJ and Chowder- both fall into this hole and Jenny needs to really do something awesome. She's like running up the stairs and along his tongue and then grabs onto the uvula and yanks it down in order to force it to throw up and and throw them up Mm -hmm. and they get launched out of the house and they're like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It's at this moment that an ambulance shows back up and Nebercracker gets out. Why he's driving? This is, I wrote down later, I was like, I, like later on, I wrote down a note, wait, did Nebercracker escape from the hospital and steal an ambulance? <laughs> it's this implied story, and they don't explain. It's a very Dan Harmon thing to put things like that in the background. If you watch, if you watch Community, there's this great, here's an example, there's this great example where... They'll say the name Beetlejuice occasionally when it makes sense. And then, like, in the third season, they say Beetlejuice for the third time, and it's in a Halloween episode, and a guy dressed up as Beetlejuice just walks by in the background. There's no way you would notice that on your own. But if you're paying attention, it's this really great, rewarding little mini story. And there's stuff like this in this movie, too. It's so much fun just thinking about how he must have gone on a rampage in that hospital or snuck out and stole an ambulance. He's still in his medicine. He's still in his medical gown. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, he, he shows up in the ambulance, and then he figures out what they've been doing, and then he tells them what really happened. So, what really happened is Nebercracker went to the circus, and 
he saw Constance the giantess and, like Jack Spratt, fell in love. And they ended up having a fantastic relationship together. And people are cruel and they throw things at her. They're very mean to her and they throw things at her. And they Constance, keep her in a cage. Constance in this in this flashback is played by Kathleen Turner. You know, that very husky voice that she has. And there's a moment where they where they're finally able to build their dream house together. And this is Never Cracker's house. And these kids are being mean to her again, and she's flipping out, and she's super angry at the kids, and he's trying to calm her down. She has a very violent temper now when it comes to children especially mocking her and abusing her. Oh, Constance! Oh, you fackles! You hooligans! I'll get you! In her anger, she falls into the foundations of this house and suffocates in the cement. Jesus. Right? <laughs> and Nebercracker, heartbroken, finishes the house and basically never leaves. Because she, her spirit comes alive through the house. Yes. But more importantly, he needs to stick around to, like he tried to do in life, protect the children from her anger. That's what he's doing. He's not angry that they're on his lawn. Get off my lawn. It's that if you come any closer, the house is going to eat you. When he shouts at DJ, do you want to die? He's not threatening him. Mm -hmm. He's warning him. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was a pretty neat twist. So and it's not I. totally unpredictable. Right. But it's still very neat and it's done very well. And it's fucking, I, yes, it's a storyline twist, but it's like, Twisted. Mm -hmm. Like, it's totally fucked up. I'm so sad. It is very sad. So, DJ is like, you gotta let the house go. There are kids that they're in danger. It's time to, to, to let Constance move on, basically. And we need to get her out of this house. But the house freaks out upon hearing this because Nebercracker is starting to listen. And it turns into its midway point in its monster transformation. The trees in the property attach it themselves to the house around the roof. And now it has like tree arms and it can move around and it like crawls around and crawls towards the screen. And I can see Kelsey, why in you would 3D. think it's terrifying in 3d that thing coming at you. I like, no wonder kids were literally screaming and crying. Yeah. They were petrified of this movie. Yeah. So it chases them to this construction the site. The same one that they were at earlier. Right. And Nebercracker decides he knows what to do. And they set the found the foundation, Waka Waka, for this early on when we know when they go into the house, he was a demolitions expert in the army. And he's like, we got to do something about this. We need to get, we need to throw, because he's been explained that the chimney and the fireplace is its heart. It needs to be destroyed. We got to throw the dynamite down the chimney. Little side note, if you're throwing dynamite into a raging fire, you don't need to light the fuse first. There's a whole plot element about how they can't get the fuse lit. It's totally unnecessary. <laughs> you're throwing it into a raging fire. It'll light its fucking self. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, and so there's this whole big thing where they need to do this, but they can't get it done. And so Chowder gets in this tractor and like starts to fight it, and and it ends up falling down where they've carved out this big pit. They drained the lake. They drain the lake <laughs> and it falls down and it crumbles to pieces. And they're like, oh, well, all right, then I guess that's that problem solved. But it completes its monster transformation. And it is now just this swirling mass of wood and brick and a chimney with this giant raging inferno mouth and these arms. And it really comes after and them. And Chowder yells, you can't do that. That's not fair. <laughs> And he, and while he's fighting, it's hilarious. He's well, you ain't nothing. You're a shack. You're an outhouse. <laughs> he's just making fun of it. And it's really, really cute. They climb up onto one of those giant cranes like you might see in a Spider-Man movie. And Jenny and DJ are going to drop it in. And DJ's swinging on the, the wrecking ball hook. Well, before he does, he's too afraid to do it. Oh, and so she she kisses him. And as he's climbing out with no problem at all, I kissed a girl. I kissed a girl. <laughs> but he falls, and he can't light that anymore. So he tells her to light it, and when he swings back around, she'll toss it to him. And so they're trying to time it right to throw it down into the chimney. One thing leads to another, and they do, and the whole thing fucking bursts into this giant fireball. With the assumption that there's more explosives in the house. And then we see... Never crack her dancing with the, the ghost of his wife for just a few seconds. And then she disappears. Yeah. Cut back to their property that night. It's still Halloween. And instead of giving out candy, they're giving kids back the things that the house stole from them. But before that, the kids go up to Nebercracker and they say they're sorry. And he's like, Why? You've set us free. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. He's been doing this for like 40 years. And he's finally free. And not like and so free is from his, his wife. wife. Yeah, that's the thing. His it's, wife it's, was stuck there too. What was the what they were free from is the curse of her being stuck as the house and him being stuck trying to prevent her rage from killing kids. And so letting her spirit move on frees her and it frees him. So it really works out for the best and he's really excited. So now he gets to help them by handing out all this stuff. And eventually they're like, okay, we're going to go home. They go home, the parents come home, and they're like, what are you, dirty pirates? Because they're covered in ash and soot and all that. And DJ agrees that maybe they should go out trick-or-treating again. Mm -hmm. And so they go out trick-or-treating. And then Hand comes up out of the pit where on Nevercracker's property, and it's Bones. So we see that Bones survived? But what happened to the cops? <laughs> Where'd the cops go? Right? <laughs> oh, but that's the end of the movie. Kelsey, hmm. lightning round. Do you have anything? I can see why people would say that this is a little bit Tim Burton-ish, especially at the very beginning. Yeah, they play that music. It the sounds music like Danny Elfman. sounds just like Danny Elfman. The font looks very much like a Tim Burton movie. But I would say that the rest of the movie is pretty unique. Yeah. I mean, it still has that animation problem I, I, I mentioned earlier where all the animation looks really good and real and relatable. But in as the bones inside these animated figures, it 
it's not quite right. They're not moving right. I it's a little bit uncanny valley, but it's also a little bit like these animated figures are not made to move in this way. You know, yeah. because they're not shaped like real humans are. Mostly I think their faces are a little weird looking. Yeah. I think you could do that same thing again today and do a fantastic job of it. Yeah. Yeah. But they should bring that stuff back. God, that monster version of the house was fucking badass. Yeah. And then it, I, I wrote down, God, the actual monster version of the house is badass. And then my second note is, oh, and the Super Shredder version, too. It made me think of Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, when he turns into Super Shredder. <laughs> and he becomes a more badass version. More sharp points. <laughs> it's a Super Shredder! There's a part where, and I get it, they're like 12 or 13, so they're little kids. I get it. But, so, Chowder saw Jenny first. Oh, yeah. And then... Uh, DJ's the first one to talk to her. And so they're having, like, a fight. They they keep, at the very beginning, they're trying to impress her. She, like, says, I don't like Mexican food. And they both say, I don't like Mexican food either, you Even know? Like, they both do. And yeah. she comes into DJ's room, and she's looking around like, wow, you still act like a little kid. And he's like, I know, I was going to take him down, put up some art, you know? <laughs> and when she's not in the room... They both attack each other for being like, really? Now you don't like this? Oh, really? You're going to put art up in your room? Uh-huh. And which, is, which is, I guess, uh, relatable in an extreme. Sure. But so then DJ is like, I call dibs. And I Chowder's t- like, you can't call dibs on a girl. Yeah. But I think it's more because he's angry that he called dibs and less because you can't call dibs on a fucking person. You can't do that. Yeah, it's really fucked up. And I feel like they shouldn't have included that. Well, there's no, they don't learn a lesson there. Yeah. It's just that, I mean, other than Jenny likes DJ and that's what they just go with. Yeah. Like, yeah, just let her go, like, let her pursue what she's actually interested in. And you guys can't call dibs. It's kind of buried in there somewhere, but they never really address it. I just think that it's a bad thing to include because it tells kids that that's okay. So, Kelsey... What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 85. 74. Really? Monster House welcomes kids and adults alike into a household full of smart, monstrous fun. I'd say that's pretty accurate. It's just a lot of fun. Can't think too hard about it. But if you do think hard about certain things, you can find a lot of really great humor in there. (laughs) Yeah. Metacritic gave it a 68, which is on par for what we would expect. And cinema score was a B, meaning actual audience members having seen it when they're surveyed average out to a B, which is pretty good. What would you give it? I'm going to give it the same score I gave Lady in White. I'm going to give it an 82. That's really funny. I was tempted to give this the same score I gave Lady in White, which was 75. I can't help but think this movie is a little bit more cohesive than Lady in White is, though, and it should earn points for that. But Lady in White is super compelling. So it's kind of a back and forth. I'll give this one a 76. I'll give it a one point advantage over the Lady in White. Yeah, it lost a little bit in the switch from big screen to little screen, losing the 3D, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Because I watch it now, and I'm like, that's got some fucked up shit in it, but it's not nearly as, like, I don't know, it 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 had an effect on me sitting in that movie theater and listening to kids, like, 
screaming bloody murder and crying their eyes out and parents having to take their kids out of the theater because it was too terrifying. Really, it really helped set the tone for me because it was just like, holy shit, they went really far with this. Yeah. And then also, because I was expecting the humor, it didn't hit as hard as it did the first time. But I still really enjoy it. And if I had a kid, I'd totally watch this with them. Yeah. I. You know what? I almost feel like like Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub could try, should try again. <laughs> Pamela Petler, I don't know her, but she has... She's written Nine. Remember that animated movie? She she I didn't she, like Nine. She wrote Corpse Bride. I didn't really like Corpse Bride. But she's written basically nothing since Nine, which came out in 2009, and, uh, except for the Addams Family movie, which is filming right now. I don't know what else to judge her on, but I can tell you that Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub have gotten a lot better in their writing over time, and I think they would have avoided tropes like the whole you know, dibs thing or whatever. And it, I think this could be better if they, if they did it again or did something else similar to it. Another kid's horror movie that's animated. I would like more of this. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of kids horror out there in general. Are we going to not do. Not anymore. Right. There was in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we going to do something wicked this way comes? It's on the list. Yeah. Okay, good. Eventually. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that to me, that's more kids horror. I'm excited to do Paranorman. Paranorman is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Paranorman is really good. What about The Watcher in the Woods? That's also on the list. Yeah. So, like, kids' horror is really good, but it's kind of gone to the wayside in favor of what many people think to be like a horror renaissance of modern day for like teenagers and stuff. But what about the kids? Let's let's scare the pants off those little kids. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? That was this week. That's 1988's. Lady in White, and 2006's Monster House. Thank you very much, Jeffrey, for recommending Lady in White. Yes. Really, really appreciate it. I I can't believe I'd never seen that before, and I feel enriched having watched it now. So thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> thank you, Jeffrey. That's this week's episode. Next week we are watching what, Kelsey? So next week is... Uh, we're in Christmas time, people. Christmas time is here. And uh, so next week is halfway a recommendation. So first we're going to watch Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is not to be confused with last year's Silent Night, Bloody Night. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hold up. I don't know if anybody out here watches the Angry Video Game Nerd or the Cinemasker channel in general, but he has a series called Rental Reviews, and they have a fake video store, like an old 80s VHS rental place. And it was an episode on Jingle All the Way. And is it really that bad or whatever? And it starts out with him on the phone to a customer and going, no, 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 Silent Night, Bloody Night, not Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it's like, yep, yep, we went through that too. <laughs> yep, yep. So, yeah, so last year I thought we were doing Silent Night, Deadly Night. And was happily surprised to do Silent Night, Bloody Night, which go back and listen because that movie was absurd. Yep. This year we're doing the famous Silent Night, Deadly Night about the killer Santa Claus. And yes, this is the one that had the parents protesting outside and, you know, there were news things about it. Yep. But then we are going to pair it with a recommendation by 
Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. His Twitter is movies underscore beer 365. <laughs> so you can find him there. He recommended that we do Santa's sleigh. Goldberg. I've never seen it. Goldberg, the wrestler Goldberg plays a demented demon who is cursed to give out gifts every year for like a thousand years or something like that. And on this year, the curse is up <laughs> and he gets to start killing people again. That's the premise of Santa's sleigh. So excited. I've never seen this. I'm so excited to see it. So we're going to be watching some Killer Santas. Yeah, Killer Santas next week, people. Yeah. So thank you, Eric. All right. And thank you to Jeffrey. Yes, thank you both. That is the episode for this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes, including a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. We're updating the look and feel of that right now, so shortly you should be seeing some changes there. You can leave a comment, share your thoughts on the on the movies we're watching, recommend one or two for us to cover in the future episode. You can do that on the website there or anywhere you're listening to our show now. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. I'll often add comments as I'm editing an episode to add a little bit little additional insight or commentary uh, after the mics are off. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. It's very helpful if you actually write a review and give us five stars. So if you haven't done that already, please do so. Share us with your friends. That helps even more. And most importantly, thank you guys for listening. It's really important to us, and we love and appreciate you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, any last words? You want a successful future? When a guy with tattoos comes up to the drive-thru, give him his burger, not your phone number. Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I did. Did you ever hear a dream talking? Well, I did. They completely digitally redid him in, which one was that? The Star Wars story? What? Which one? I God, I'm such a Star Wars fan too, and why can't I think of the name of this movie? You know, where they steal the plans of the Death Star? The Empire Strikes Back? No, the new one. He dies oh, in the Rogue first one. one. Rogue One, that's what it's called. Only saw that one once. With that in mind, we'll step away. I don't know how where I was going with that. Frankie goes in there and he finds a little girl's beret, among other things, beret? including Barrette. <laughs> Before we move on to our next movie, Slash Cards, Kelsey. Not nope. Slash Cards. Fuck.
<coughs> so then he grabs. Hold on, I was coughing. And when he, he, as this small man who was in the war, saw her, he fell in love instantly. Wait, we're not there yet. We don't know that yet. That Nutcracker shows up. Hold on. Stop barking, dogs. God. 